0: Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimise your mind, body, and wellbeing. It's a solo show this week, and I want to talk about some of the tools that I use to maintain good health. So we're going to do a bit of a series on these, covering things like wearable technology, possibly some blood testing, a microbiome testing through something called Viome, which I'm currently doing. But this week, I'm going to talk to you about DNA. Now, this is where my kind of journey into health started almost. It was one of the first tools that I used to try and unpick you know, some of the guesswork around what type of diet suited me and what type of exercise was I best suited to and how can I take a real deep dive into my personalised approach to health, fitness, and well-being. So, what is the DNA test? Let's start there. It's a salivary test. So you basically wipe a little swab on the end of a stick and you wipe that on the inside of your cheek for about a minute. And then you put it, send it off, goes off to a laboratory in, in UK the results come back a few weeks later and you get a, and certainly in the test we use, and I'll put links to all of this in the show notes, by the way, the test we use comes back in a couple of beautifully put together reports and an infographic, a one page infographic that gives you the bulk of the information you need. So when I did this, I really had no idea about the right type of diet for me. I hadn't given it any thought at all. I was just eating what I liked. Balanced, you know, lots of good stuff in there. And my diet changed radically. So, seven years ago, when I was a city worker, for those of you who don't know my story, I worked in the city. I was drinking copious amounts of alcohol, you know, anything between a bottle and three bottles of wine a day. So, you know, really it was alcoholic drinking. It certainly wasn't recreational anymore. But I was also very unfulfilled and unhappy in my job, really spending most of my days looking at the clock in the bottom right hand corner of my screen, wishing the day away, the week away, the month away. So I got myself into quite a poor state really of, of health and well-being. The food I was eating was pretty poor as well. I mean, I'd, I'd have ready meals, but they were from M&S. So I thought because they were M&S, they were pretty good ready meals. So a complete contrast to the way I live now. I'm teetotal. I eat a very personalized, balanced diet. There are things like chocolate and biscuits and things like that that come into my diet, but not a lot. My weight, I've lost two and a half stone from my city days to today. That weight came off in about 18 months, maybe even a couple of years. I mean, I wasn't looking to lose weight, but the way I transformed my diet by personalizing it and just became much, much more active, you know, totally changed my job, totally changed the way I transported myself from A to B. I used my legs or on a bicycle rather than getting public transport. So lots and lots of things changed, but I wasn't in a hurry to lose that weight. It just came off very slowly. And you know, if you've listened to a previous episode, uh, Insights episode that I recorded about losing weight, it's when it happens very slowly it's sustainable because you're not doing something or not doing something. You're just making tiny little lifestyle changes. And once they're bedded in, you move on to the next one. And and that's essentially how I did it. But to get back to the DNA, I was really keen to do this just to find out, you know, what am I sensitive to? What am I not sensitive to? How should I be be structuring my diet so that I can get optimal weight management and maintain basically my body set point, but also stable energy, and stable blood sugars. They were the three things I was really interested in, weight management, energy management, and blood sugar regulation. So I did this test, and it came back that the ideal diet type for me is low-carbohydrate. So there are three options, low-carb, low-fat, or the Mediterranean diet. But mine was low-carbohydrate. And they'd come to this conclusion because the genes that they'd looked at, and just set aside for a moment, they look at 50 dominant genes, that relate to fitness or nutrition and it's just those genes and those genes have at least three peer-reviewed proven scientific studies to back up their efficacy for example for carbohydrate sensitivity so the genes that i've got indicate that i'm highly sensitive to carbohydrate so what does that mean it means when i ingest carbohydrate or in fact when any of us do there's an enzyme in our saliva that immediately starts to break down the carbohydrate so that it can be readily converted into glucose once it it moves lower down the chain. Now, in my case, I do that very, very quickly. So I'm gonna convert carbohydrates into energy very, very quickly, because I'm highly sensitive to them. But it also means that I've got a greater chance of storing excess carbohydrates as subcutaneous fat, in other words, belly fat, fat that we don't particularly want to have on the body, and most of us are interested in burning. So there's a couple of things going on there. For those of you who aren't carbohydrate sensitive, this won't be much of an issue. But for me, it is. Now, up until that point, I'd been eating a fairly carbohydrate-rich diet. So it would be rice, pasta, potatoes, this kind of thing. Uh, You know, let's push aside refined carbohydrates, which are only ever really a treat. So by immediately cutting back on that, I found that my weight was pretty stable anyway, but my energy became much more stable. I also noticed that I got less bloating, less gas and other things when I wasn't eating a lot of carbohydrates, particularly rice. So that was a really big learn for me. I had no idea that that was the case. And I've mentioned blood sugar. And I've also in previous insight episodes mentioned that I've been wearing a continual blood glucose monitor. So I'm really interested in also maintaining stable blood sugar levels and controlling my carbohydrate intake allows me to do that. So that was a massive, massive learn for me. The other big learn was my sensitivity to saturated fat. And this is exactly the same thing. It's essentially how quickly you can convert that saturated fat into fuel. It's the degree to which you're sensitive to saturated fat. And I've got a medium sensitivity. So I need to be quite cautious about how much saturated fat I have in my diet. And this really what we're talking about of animal fats that are solid at room temperature. So butter and everything that's found in cakes and chocolate and things like that. So I had a look at how much saturated fat is actually in my diet. Not a huge amount at that point. So that wasn't so much of an issue. Cheese I did cut down on. That was one thing. But that was less of an issue. The big win up to this point had been in reducing my carbohydrate intake and having quite a low carb diet. A couple of other things that are also interesting. It tells you your sensitivity to lactose and gluten. So it's whether you you possess the genes that really help you to process lactose and gluten. And in my case, and this was a big surprise, I was insensitive to lactose. So I don't have the genes that allow me to deal with, with lactose. I'd been drinking milk to a point, but certainly eating cheese and lots of other foods that contain lactose, lots and lots of foods contain lactose. And it's quite a tricky one to avoid in some ways. So that's something that I have pretty much cut out, not entirely, because there were some foods that... I think it's not a bad thing if, unless you've got a, you know, like something like celiac disease, which applies to gluten, not lactose. But the point is that someone who has celiac cannot have any gluten anywhere near them. There'll be people who've got such a lactose sensitivity or allergy that they can't have that anywhere near them either. That isn't me, so I do believe that to have the occasional bit of lactose is actually not that bad a thing, because it allows you to retain a little bit of immunity to it, if you like. So you don't have a very Harsh reaction when you do get exposed to lactose because let's face it, I could be out somewhere and because it's quite a subtle thing, it could be in sources or anything like that where you might not think it is. I wouldn't want to have any sort of reaction. I don't mean to be dramatic about it, but I'd rather just have a little bit of lactose in my diet on a regular basis so that I retain some sort of immunity and and minimize the sensitivity to it. But that was a big surprise. So, that another, another one that really helped when I drastically cut it down really helped in terms of bloating and gas as well. So that was big. Gluten, I'm not sensitive to gluten. I um, in the report it actually calls it celiac sensitivity, but or celiac predisposition, but it should really be called gluten sensitivity. I don't have a gluten sensitivity, but I did work with somebody who did the DNA test, discovered they were sensitive to gluten, and then went off and had a test and turns out they're celiac. So it could be quite revealing in that sense. And I worked with somebody else who thought that they had a gluten sensitivity. So I said, well, why don't we put it to the test? we'll, we'll do this DNA test and we'll find out once and for all, whether you are indeed sensitive to gluten. So she did the test and it, the results came back and they were really surprising. It said that she wasn't sensitive to gluten, but she was sensitive to lactose. So she cut lactose out of her diet. And sure enough, all her symptoms, so little pouch, belly, bloating, gas disappeared. She brought gluten back into her diet. The symptoms stayed gone. She brought lactose back into her diet, symptoms reoccurred. So it was a real exercise in removing the guesswork there. And it's enabled her to make better choices around the types of food she has. And if she doesn't want the symptoms, she know, she needs to cut out the lactose. If she can live with the symptoms because she didn't want to do a total elimination in a permanent diet, then, you know, she, she knew what she had coming basically. So there were four interesting things there. So the carbohydrate sensitivity, saturated fat, lactose, and gluten. And the report also t- told me my sensitivity to things like salt, caffeine, and alcohol. So let's start with alcohol because that's where most people's ears prick up. This isn't actually talking about whether you can drink a lot or not a lot, or how well you process you know alcohol in terms of a hangover or anything like that. What it's actually talking about is your sensitivity to alcohol in relation to cholesterol. Specifically, it's going to tell you whether you're a fast or slow metabolizer of alcohol. So in my case, I'm a slow metabolizer. So what that means is I process alcohol quite slowly and therefore I'm more predisposed, you know, I'm teetotal now, but we'll go with it. When I was drinking, I was slowly metabolizing that alcohol. So it's going to stay in my bloodstream for a little bit longer than it might somebody else who's a fast metabolizer. Now, where this this gets interesting is it isn't actually, that's not really the main point of it. The point is around its relationship to cholesterol. Now, you might have have seen headlines in the Daily Mail and so on around doctors say glass of wine a day is good for you. And in fact, in the blue zones, which are areas of the world, there's about seven of them. These are areas of the world where they have the highest proportion of centurions. So the most people live to 100 in these parts of the world. And one of the things that they all have in common is they do tend to drink a glass of alcohol a night. The differences, I think, between some of the ways that Westerners drink and these folk drink is that firstly, they're drinking wine that is pressed in the local area. So it's a very clean wine. They're only having a very small amount of it. And they're also, it's almost always in the blue zones, part of a social gathering. So it's a very social thing. It's very moderated and tempered by each other. And there are health benefits for that. Anyway, the Daily Mail headlines, they sort of come and go. Doctors say glass of wine, a, good, a day is good for you. And really what they're referring to is it's alcohol's relationship to cholesterol. So as a slow metabolizer, the alcohol stays in my bloodstream long enough for the very small amount of alcohol to have a positive effect on HDL. So cholesterol very simply is broken up into two different types. HDL, which is high-density lipoproteins, And LDL, which is low density lipoproteins. Now, very crudely, HDL is what we consider air quotes good cholesterol, and LDL is air quotes what we consider bad cholesterol. It's actually a little bit more complex than that, but that will do for now. Because the alcohol stays in my blood for longer because I'm a slow metabolizer, I will get that positive effect on HDL. So I get a little bit of a boost in good cholesterol. Now, the fact that I don't drink means that's a, a moot point, but But people who are fast metabolizers of alcohol, you don't get that benefit because you process it too quickly. So it's always a bit of a strange one. You know, when I'm going through these reports with people and they say, well, can I drink then? Does it mean I can drink or should I drink a glass of wine every day to to get the, the boost on cholesterol? And the answer is no, of course not. It's nice to know if you drink a very small, if you've got the discipline and the rigor to have a small glass of wine a day and there's no psychological dependency and you don't struggle to put the cork back in the bottle or anything like that And it doesn't have to be wine by the way then by all means enjoy the additional benefit if you're a slow metabolizer but otherwise no there's lots of different ways to positively boost your cholesterol that don't involve drinking alcohol and potentially putting your head in the lion's jaw if you're one of these people that struggles to then put the, the top back on the bottle so that's an interesting one a, a moot point for me My salt sensitivity, and up until now, we've really believed that the main health issue around salt is hypertension, high blood pressure. We're now understanding that that's not the full picture, and actually salt is not necessarily the devil in terms of blood pressure that we'd thought it was. That's still being kicked around a little bit. But nonetheless, it is prudent to be careful of, of sources of food that contain salt. And not so much for the fact they contain salt, but salt is a preservative. So if you are eating lots of foods that contain salt, you're probably eating processed foods. Maybe foods that usually should have a very short shelf life, but have a much longer shelf life because they've been preserved in salt, amongst other things. So I think it's good just to be mindful of how much salt you consume. I have high sensitivity to salt. So I'm careful how much goes into food when it's being prepared. We cook everything from scratch and fresh, but also I don't add a great deal of salt to food either. And I'm mindful of what it's in. Now, all of that said, salt is not something I'm particularly worried about. I don't think I have an awful lot of it. I know that some of the um, scientific literature now is saying that salt is not necessarily closely linked to hypertension. And I also have something called a Berkey or Barky. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Berkey, I think. B-E-R-K-E-Y, water filter. So a Berkey water filter. And this is an urn that's in two parts with a couple of charcoal filters at the top. And you fill it with water and it filters the water so that you're drinking a sort of purer water from the, the tap at the bottom of the urn. And I have some Himalayan rock salt to hand because when the water goes through this filtration process, it actually gets the minerals reduced from it. So I have to add the salt in afterwards to make sure the water's mineralized. So I'm not particularly worried about salt. I understand that I'm highly sensitive to it, but it's not the kind of the, the key attraction to all of this for me. And I'm also a slow metabolizer of caffeine, it's something else the report tells me. So I actually drink decaffeinated coffee, but before I switch to decaffeinated, I would limit my caffeine exposure to about two cups very early in the day. Now, Professor Matthew Walker in his brilliant book, Why We Sleep, which I will also link to in the show notes, he says that uh, caffeine has a quarter life of 12 hours. What that means is if you have a cup of coffee at 9 a.m. and you're a slow metabolizer like I am, 25% of that caffeine is still in your bloodstream at midnight. Now, if you're a fast metabolizer, maybe it's gone by 9 p.m. or maybe even slightly earlier, but you're still risking it with a cup of coffee with caffeine in, even at 9 o'clock, So that was interesting. I cut my coffee down quite considerably from about four cups to two once I found out that information. I've subsequently gone decaffeinated because actually if you dig down deeper into the report, I can see that my genetic profile indicates that I do not cope with caffeine well. So once I did a bit of deeper analysis into this stuff, I realized that actually I shouldn't be drinking Caffeinated coffee at all. So I've cut that out completely. That was another big gain. You know, caffeine is one of the most widely used legally available drugs in the whole world. Yet it is really a, a form of drug, it's a stimulant. And I think it's probably a good thing to try and get back off that. And it's something I know a lot of people struggle with. But so doing a test like this can also give you a steer on whether you've got the genes to be able to handle the caffeine. So that's, that's I think, an interesting one. What we've talked about up until now has been largely around macronutrients of carbs and fat, for example. Some other interesting stuff like lactose and gluten. And then some of the other things that you have sensitivities around. It's revealing whether or not you've got the DNA and the genes to be able to cope with this. So that's salt, caffeine and alcohol, for example. The bottom section of the infographic, which I appreciate you can't look at, but I will post a link if I can on social media to my infographic The bottom section of this, though, focuses on micronutrients in the main. The first thing it talks about is antioxidants. So these are dark leafy greens, but also foods that are rich in vitamins A, C, and E. Antioxidants are are in the body, really, or or need to be put into the body via food sources to help combat free radicals. And these can be cell-damaging molecules that can be released through eating certain foods, for example, and and via various other things, other physiological processes. So I've got a raised requirement for antioxidants. This means I need to put more of these kind of things into my diet because my body is not necessarily producing the right amounts of antioxidants. So I do this via two methods. The first method should always be through food. So I'm consuming foods that are rich in antioxidants, foods that are rich in vitamins A, C and E, dark leafy greens, locally sourced organic, the best quality produce that I can find that contains antioxidants, but there's other things that contain antioxidants as well. Fun stuff like dark chocolate, blueberries, lots of different things. So knowing I've got a raised requirement is really helpful because I can put as much food into my diet that's rich in antioxidants as possible. But the other thing I will do is take an antioxidant tablet and I'll just do that literally as a supplement to supplement my diet on a day where perhaps I'm not getting so many antioxidant rich foods. I've got that supplement to back me up. And that's really how I see it. It's a backup. It's not a substitute for food. And on that note, I'll also take some tablets, which again, I'll put links to, called Pucker Clean Greens. Uh, And you can get different brands of these, but Pucker, P-U-K-K-A, are the brand that I use. And it's basically dried powder comprised of greens. So that supplements my vegetable intake as well. So that's antioxidants. I also have a raised requirement for vitamins B6 and B12. So I will look for foods that are rich in these sources of vitamins and try and include as much of that in my diet as possible. Because again, I'm not that good at extracting that. I need to to boost the body's supply of B6 and B12 through foods. D3 is an interesting one. So vitamin D3 is actually a steroid hormone. And the way that we get this, we can get it from food, but Typically, we just can't get enough of it. So for example, some fish, I believe, contain D3. It's really hard to eat enough of, of any food stuff, stuff to get enough of that. So I will take a supplement. But before I take a supplement for D3, I'll always get a test. Now, there's a couple of ways, or three ways you can do this, really. You can find a test on, on the internet. You could go via one of our partners, which is Fourth, and I'll put a link to that and their vitamin D3 test on the, in the show notes. Alternatively, you can go down to the doctor and just ask for a vitamin D3 test. But D3 is a really interesting one. I supplement at the end of winter and at the end of summer just to see where my levels are at. So, well, not quite that, but I, March and October, basically. So pretty much end of winter, beginning of end of summer. And the reason I do that is because sometimes I've gone to reach for the supplements and thought, mm, I'll just do a test first. And actually, my levels are pretty good. So you don't need to supplement. So it's always best, I think, to do whatever you can to take the guesswork out of health. If you can do a simple little blood test to find out what your D3 levels are, do it before you supplement. It is possible to have too much D3. It is quite tricky to do, but vitamin D3 toxicity does exist. So my recent tests showed that I had enough, so I haven't supplemented with that. But I think it's an interesting one as well. And I've talked to people who complain of fatigue, tiredness, aches and pains, unexplained aches and pains in particular often one of the the low energy as well, often one of the first things I'll suggest they do is just go and have a vitamin D3 test. And sometimes that is the issue. And particularly if you've come out of a long winter or if you live in the hemisphere of the world like we do here in the UK, where you just don't get a lot of sun exposure, particularly obviously in the winter months. Last summer, we had an amazing summer, but even then a lot of people are office-based and they can't get out and spend much time in it. So it's really worth having that looked at. That would be um, a big tip If you're feeling curious or in any way under-energized or tired or achy and you're not quite sure why that might be, a D3 test is highly recommended. One of the other things the test tells you is your requirement for cruciferous vegetables. Now, cruciferous vegetables are vegetables that have a sort of flowery shaped head. So broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts. They're all examples of cruciferous vegetables. And I have a raised requirement for those as well. So I include lots and lots of those in my diet. And here's a little tip. If you're thinking, hang on a minute, I might have to put loads of of dark leafy greens into my diet, loads of cruciferous vegetables. How am I going to get all those in? Well, one of a really effective way I find of doing that is to make a smoothie. Now there's a couple of companies that I use. I've no affiliation to either of these companies, by the way, but one is called Thyme, T-H-Y-M-E. And the other one is called Honestly Good Smoothies. I'll put links to both of those as well in the show notes. These are companies that basically send you smoothies that are frozen in a packet and you just put that into the NutriBullet or your blender, add water or your whatever mixer you want, uh, almond milk, whatever, coconut milk, and you blend them up and boom, you've got a smoothie. And that's one way that you can get some of these vegetables in in a really easy to consume way. So I'll try and get maybe four or five portions in just via this smoothie. And then I've got to look for maybe three or four on the dinner plate or in the lunch plate as I try and get about eight portions of vegetables in a day, it doesn't always happen, which is why I've got those supplements, the clean green supplement and the antioxidant supplement. But that's what I try and do. And There's a study recently that was conducted by the Imperial College of London in 2017 that found if you increase your portions of vegetables by just two and a half. So maybe if you're eating two portions now, you eat four and a half. So it's about a you know, little over 100% increase. You get extraordinary benefits in terms of reduced mortality. So reduced risk of cancer, reduced risk of heart disease, reduced risk of premature death, an extraordinary array of benefits simply by eating an extra two and a half portions of vegetables a day. So that's advice I think that's really worth heeding easy really to do that an extra two and a half portions. So where does that leave me? So having got all that information, I was able to pull together a really personalized diet for me based on my unique genes and the way I respond to certain foods. So the main takeaways I got from this is I, I significantly reduced my carbohydrate intake. And when I say carbohydrates, vegetables are carbohydrates, but I'm not including those. I'm talking about pasta, potatoes, rice. Those were the three predominant foods. I cut those down quite considerably. And the net result was I got much more stable energy levels. And I would think more stable blood sugar. I'm not going to say I know that for sure, because I wasn't wearing the continual blood glucose monitor. But when you have more stable energy, it's usually because your blood sugar is more stable. So I started eating more vegetables as well, because of my raised requirement for antioxidants and cruciferous, and felt better, my skin looked better. And again, it contributed to overall more stable energy. I cut lactose out of my diet completely, and that reduced a lot of bloating, a lot of gas. Of course, I had the occasional bit, but the the vast majority of lactose was gone from my diet. That reduced bloating, it reduced gas, which obviously makes me feel much more comfortable. The B6 and B12, I added more of that in. Difficult to discern any real benefit to that, except just feeling great. The D3, I now test twice a year to make sure I've got adequate amount of that. Interestingly, one year I was in the sun a lot and yet had quite low levels. It was still within the normal range, but on the low side. So even if you think you're in the sun a lot, it's definitely worth checking for that one. And what this has enabled me to do is just pull together a completely personalized diet. And that forms the basis of how I eat. One of the things that I do in conjunction with this, or two things I do in conjunction with this, is I then do some very simple non-invasive at-home blood testing. So a little kit gets sent to me. It's a self-administered finger prick test. And that looks at my iron, my cholesterol, my D3, B6, B12, quite a number of other markers. I think it's about 16 things it looks at in total. So the DNA forms my blueprint for good health. That's my genetic blueprint for good health. The blood gives me some real-time information about what's going on. So it's all very well knowing that I've got a raised requirement for B6 and B12, for example. But if I don't know what my existing levels are, I don't know whether I need to supplement. So I do some real-time testing as well. And the other bit of real-time testing I do is I do a test called Viome, which is a microbiome test. And I'll put a link to that. We have a an affiliate link to give you full transparency to that. And I'll put that in the show notes. And that gives me real-time data on what's going on in the gut. And what I'm going to do as a follow-up is do another podcast where I talk about my microbiome results and I'll share with you exactly what that's told me but I can juxtapose all that information to get a really personalized diet for me and the upshot of having a personalized diet is I'm I'm not struggling against my genetics I'm eating a diet that works with my genes I can get stable blood sugar I can manage my weight perfectly I never gain or lose weight it's always bang on and I can make sure I'm getting the right things into my body that ultimately are going to enable me to live a long and healthy life because that's my ambition. As you would have heard before, it's to live to a hundred and still be walking, feeding myself, and talking intelligently. So I know that even at the age of forty-four, definitely by now, I've got to be working with my body and not against it. So that's a little upshot of the a run through of my DNA. I'm going to link to everything we've talked about in the show notes, but. Last time I did an insights episode and I just touched on this, we had a big, a big sort of outpouring of questions. So if you have got anything you want to ask me on this and it's not answered for you in the show notes, then send me an email, leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at bodyshotperformance.com. Alternatively, you can jump onto our website, bodyshotperformance.com, and have a look around there and contact us through the contact form if you've got questions. If you're reading this, or sorry, listening to this and you got to us through social media, then just post a comment and we'll come back to you straight away and, and take your question and hopefully answer it for you. So that's it from me. I'll talk to you very soon and thank you for listening. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.